Everyone who has participated in the making of this podcast has their own living experience in adoption and or permanency. You may find that adoption stories we talk about evoke strong feelings, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. This is very normal and is to be expected. Take the time you need to listen and reflect. Feel free to take pauses if you like, or even go on a walk to make yourself comfortable. And don't forget to breathe. Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast on Adoption Stories. We are absolutely delighted to be at the second part of our podcast. We know that the voices of living experience are really the key to understanding adoption. We're learning every time we meet together how important it is. It helps connect dots and make meanings of this journey called adoption. Secrecy is woven through everyone's adoption experience in some way. We begin by talking with several individuals who are open and willing and courageous enough to be here to answer some of the questions that through our conversations we've been able to arrive at. My name is Diane Mathis. I'm an adult adoptee and I'm joined by Travis, who is a birth father and will be moderating this podcast with me. Yeah, thank you, Diane. One of the reasons we picked adoption stories is because telling our stories is very healing and they're sometimes very difficult to tell and they're very difficult to heal but they are healing for all of us that are telling and for all of us that are listening and hopefully for those of you who are listening you will understand that healing takes place when we tell our stories thanks travis and we are very honored to have with us tonight dawn and Cindy, who are both adoptees and are going to share their story and their experience of how secrecy has impacted them. We'll begin by asking Dawn to answer the question in her words from her experience. How is secrecy embedded in your life journey in adoption, Dawn? Hi, and thanks for having me here um, to just start out a little bit about me so people understand my story. I was adopted uh, in the 60s in the era of closed adoptions. I am now married. I have grown sons. Well, sort of grown. They tell me they're grown. And I've worked in the area of adoption and child welfare for many, many years. So all of these experiences certainly have come together as I think about and reflect on my life being an adopted person, but also other people's lives. You know, I've learned from their experiences as well. For the question, you know, how has secrecy been embedded in my adoption? Well, certainly it was a closed adoption. So I had very little information about who my original parents were. I was adopted as an infant. And well, the fact that I was adopted was not secret. You know, in that sense, I think my, my adoptive parents were somewhat progressive for the time. They were pretty free to admit that I was adopted. That part wasn't a secret. But the details around the adoption... The reason for the adoption, who my birth parents were, my original parents were, 
all of that was shrouded in a lot of mystery and secrets. My adoptive parents tell me that they were not given any kind of social history information as a written document, that their social worker gave them a little bit of verbal information that she really wasn't supposed to have given them, but she did. Uh, as it turned out, once I got to meet my uh, birth parents when I was an adult, um, some of the information they had was not wholly accurate. There was definitely things in the original information that I was told that was not accurate. And I think most importantly, you know, one of the things that or one of the explanations that I was told as a child growing up was the reason why I had to be adopted was because my birth mother found herself pregnant and not married. And that my birth father abandoned her. And so she had no choice but to place me for adoption. And that very much was not the case. <laughs> Uh, in fact, it was maybe more the opposite, you know, as I got to know my birth father as an adult. But certainly growing up as a child, I wondered a lot about who they were and where they were and what happened to them. And I filled in those gaps with lots of fantasies and daydreams, uh, wondering about who they were. Secrets also came to light again. You know, as I became an adult and I started searching for my original parents, wanted to know answers to those questions, I did eventually find out who my birth mother was. It took a long time. This was back in the days before the internet. But I did discover her identity. And then uh, through that search, I discovered that she's also an adopted person. So uh, her original family members are still secret to me. I continue to try to search and put the pieces of the puzzle together. But at this point, I've resorted to DNA because the adoption disclosure registries that are available in this province and in the province where her adoption finalized uh, both tell me that I'm not entitled to that information. Uh, so there's even state-sponsored secrecy that lives out in my adoption. And so, Don, you you talked about how um, secrecy was embedded in your adoption, and and you're, what I'm hearing now is that there is still so much secrecy currently embedded in your adoption. Absolutely. I mean, there's a secret, but of course, it is it is in my DNA. <laughs> Uh, it's just a matter of me is trying to put all those pieces together. I mean, it certainly takes a lot of time and effort and energy and money to try to see if I can uncover all those answers for myself. That's definitely the most current secret that goes on in my life around adoption. And, you know, I think for me, that really means that there's a part of myself that's still kind of secret. Hmm. You know, I mean, at least now I can say with a large amount of confidence that, you know, ethnicity wise, I can tell you that based on the DNA, you know, I can tell you a little bit about my mother's side, my birth father's side, I've connected to him and his family, and he's got a very intact family. So I got to learn a lot about that side of the family. But you know, as I think about all this searching, all this searching that, that I've been doing through most of my adult life, I started searching 
Well, I requested my social history from the Children's Aid Society when I was in my early 20s. So that's 30 years I've been working to try to uncover the secrets, to get rid of the secrets. It's taken a lot of energy <laughs> when I think about it. And I wish people listening right now could have seen Dawn light up when she talked about finding out her ethnicity, mm. finding out some mm. part of your secrets. Like Dawn, you just, you lit up. Yeah. Mm. You're still smiling about it. Yeah. And that must have been what to describe that feeling of finding out something that you maybe thought I may never find this out. Yeah, well, you know, and I don't know what other people would say, you know, other adopted people would say when they don't have that information. But it's often one of those questions that comes up when you meet people for the first time, or the second time, you know, uh, is you'll start talking about your families. And then there's always the question, you know, well, what's your family's background? Or, you know, where did they immigrate from or something along that effect. And for the longest time, I didn't know how to answer that question. It kind of like would almost stop me in my tracks. You know, it's like the connection would go to this spot where the information is supposed to be. And there's just like a blank page. There was there was no answer. Then I would feel kind of foolish, right? Because, you know, I kept being told that it didn't matter. That doesn't matter. You have a good family. Everything's okay. But it did matter to me, right? It mattered because because it was one of those ways that it reminded me that I was different from other people and that my experience was different. And, you know, that was kind of a secret too, right? The idea that my experience is different and that it's not the same. I mean, that that's, I think, a huge secret that happens for a lot of adopted people is the fact that they have reasons or to feel sad or reasons to feel empty or feel frustrated or feel angry, it never gets labeled. And so it just sits there in silence. The effect that finally finding out something about yourself had on you. Yeah. Juxtaposed, for lack of a better word, against what you said about, I would go searching for that answer and it was like there was just an empty place where it was supposed to be and, and it wasn't. It's such a powerful way of saying it. It should have been there and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And the importance of that piece that until, and can certainly relate to that in my story, until I had some of those pieces, there wasn't a foundation. There wasn't a way to work with the pieces. And yet I hear you saying, You've been doing that for 30 years. Yeah. A lot of your adult life. And yet there are still secrets. Yeah. And you're still searching for some of the pieces and the answers. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I might be doing that for the rest of my life. So you really embody in a very profound but practical way how it's a lifelong journey. You can be searching for a lifetime. Yeah. I know we're going to go to, to listening to Cindy's story in a moment, but, but I'm wondering, Cindy, as another adoptee listening to that, if you have any reflection or comment as you hear, Don. 
as I'm listening to Don, I'm doing a lot of nodding that people can't see uh, because I, it's it's very similar. There's lots of similarities in our stories as far as you know not you know not having the answers and it's taking so much time searching. And Cindy, would you like to tell us a little bit about your story and how was secrecy embedded in adoption for you and maybe even how how is it still? I'm Cindy, thank you. I'm also very grateful to be here to be able to talk about my story. We did a little practice last week and I, I spent a lot of time over the weekend centering myself, getting myself ready because for me, secrecy was embedded obviously from the beginning. I was also adopted as a baby. I knew I was adopted, but any questions around that particular adoption was never answered. That question, society was like, no, you don't talk about it. You just raise that child as your own and you don't, don't speak of anything else. Again, very similar to some of Dawn's stories. Any questions that I asked, they didn't know the answer, which is fine. I had, you know, but I think it was how you respond to your kids. Sometimes not, you don't have to have the answers. So it's a, that was a point for me I want to tell parents possibly is that you don't have to have the answers, but allowing your child to have those questions that is supporting them. Even doing this podcast, I felt a little bit of fear because I'm feeling like I'm telling the secret. I'm talking about the secret. So for me, I had to just make sure I'm like, it's not a secret. <laughs> this is part of who I am. This is part of my life. So I am going to talk about it. And that's okay. And that's, you know, just growing up in a society that people didn't talk about it. People, Dawn's right. She mentions, you know, some people thinking that why would you even have to know why, you know, you have a good life. It's a, you have a good life. You got a good family. Why would you even want to know? Uh, we have to realize that us as humans, it's important for us to know where we come from. Those pieces are very important for us. I also did a lot of uh, fantasizing and wondering and watching TV and wondering if that person was my mother or that person was my father. I even as I got older as a teenager, if I went to a new city or something wondering, oh, is that that person look like me? Maybe that person looks a little bit like me. Even though my adoption was open as far as in the family, I wasn't the one that was able to tell people that. It was my parents' choice to tell people if I was adopted or not. That, that's how they would share with family or friends. Pretty sure most of my immediate family knew I was adopted, but any new friends outside, that was something for my parents to share and not for me. So that kind of made me feel a little bit of ashamed of it, of feeling like there's something wrong with me. And then I think that also for me turned it into trying to be a perfect kid. So I was trying to be a perfect kid in their life and not quite sure how to reach that perfection because we really never talked about it. So I think that might be something that uh, a lot of us adoptees kind of feel a little bit of perfection necessary to, to be that good kid. Uh, make sure that what others think of us is, is going to be, you know, good. We're good people. I hear you talking, Cindy, about that sort of being perfect or striving to be perfect. I also heard you say there's still some fear involved in telling a story now, and yet how difficult to try and be comfortable in telling your story mm -hmm. when you've been striving for something perfect without your story. 
it's kind of a dichotomy in some ways. Yes. I mean, if you're if you're feeling like you're trying to be perfect and that fear for me was, OK, I'm, I'm going to talk about feeling shamed or uh, uncertain, uh, unsure in my life. Yeah, I don't want to break that mold of that perfection that I'm trying to create here. <laughs> I want to be a perfect person here. <laughs> you know, what I mean? now that I'm older and I've hopefully learned more and a little bit wiser, there is no perfect person and there is no perfect children or family, which is okay. That's the way of the world. But it took quite some time to get to that point. I think adoption brings a different layer to that equation or thought. And I think secrets keep us off balance because that secret might get let out. And it doesn't surprise me at all, Cindy, to hear you talking about striving for perfection and controlling what you can control because you are a secret and you carry a secret and that's a really difficult way to live i would imagine yes that's perfect travis that's exactly what i was trying to get across when we look at the members of adoption it is all of us are carrying some secrets and it does it throws us off balance and makes it much more difficult to try and walk the walk without feeling so imperfect yeah you know listening to you i'm just i'm remembering you know i'm remembering how i would work so hard as a girl to be a good daughter it was so so important to me to be a good daughter and whenever I wondered about the secrets, you know, wondered about who they were and what they were doing, I didn't feel like a good daughter at all. And I was very ashamed that I wanted to know who they were and that I longed to be with them. I longed to know them at the very least. And every time I did, I felt really like I was an awful person at the same time. And I couldn't even tell anybody. Like I couldn't even say to my parents that I wondered about that or I worried about that because I was so worried that they would find out I was a terrible daughter and then give me back. And I mean, when I think about it now, you know, from like, you know, middle age, I think, well, of course they wouldn't have done that. But, you know, when you're 10 yeah, <laughs> or eight, you know, you're not quite thinking about it from the same perspective. I don't think I had the same kind of confidence either that they really wanted or that they would really love me, even if I wasn't perfect. Mm. I don't think I really believed that back then. And I wonder, Dot, I think that's part of the secrecy, right? Because we didn't talk about it, right? We, so we make that stuff up as we go, because you're right. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the confidence. We don't have the understanding. And absolutely, I agree 100%. Anytime yeah. I was thinking about that, I did. I felt like I was a terrible daughter. You know, why am I thinking of that? The shame that I felt just wanting to know about my history. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I so also identify with you talking about, you know, how hard it is to tell the story. I mean, listening to me now, people are probably thinking, well, that's not hard for her, right? But I've been telling the story a lot. And I'm reminded of when I did go back to university to finish my master's degree, part of the research that I did included, you know, telling pieces of my story. Mm -hmm. And the idea of putting this in a document that was going to be in a library and public 
and anybody was going to be able to look at this and do with it what they wanted. Oh, that took me to my knees more than once. Mm. It took so incredibly long to write that thesis because I had to work my way through it and find the bravery and do it. And of course, Mm -hmm. every time I spoke my truth, I felt stronger and I felt more confident, but it was not easy. That's one of the themes that came up in podcast one. Mm -hmm. One of the themes that came up was that we didn't have the language to express the feelings that we have, we felt it, but we didn't have the language to express it. And it sounds like, Dawn, that that was a a very therapeutic thing, agonizing, but therapeutic to find the words and write them down and show them to the world. Yeah, absolutely. It was. And in fact, you know, Travis, I incorporated that approach even into the research and allowed people to use images in response to questions and not just words, because I understood that sometimes you can't always have the words because it's never been something that you've ever had any practice talking about before. So you just have this feeling. For me, it's like this stuck feeling. Well, and how can you possibly have practice telling something you didn't know? And then when you do know the pieces, they're jumbled or you don't have all of them. And yet, you're striving to only present yourself in ways that fit this striving for perfection. It's impossible when you're just finding words and you're just finding parts of yourself to have it all neatly put together in a way that fits the perfection or else you're back in the, I might get left, I might get rejected, I might be seen as terrible, I have been seen. You know, you can, I really hear this sort of cycle that we get caught in. Isn't that why the telling of secrets are so important? Because it's doing so many things all at the same time as I listen to the two of you, right? It's really helping people find the words. It's helping people name those feelings that get in the way of speaking the words unless they're perfect. And you said it, Dawn, and, and, you know, it took you to your knees more than once. I mean, these are intense, profound experiences at times. So speaking about secrets becomes so important. And, and listening to the two of you share those similarities of experience really says that connection, that opportunity is so important to hear each other tell the stories. I'd be very interested in hearing what it's like for both of you to hear these similarities in these stories. I mean, I I don't know how much you've shared your stories, but I'm very aware that you're speaking from some very clear themes that impact both of you. Well, you know, it's funny um, because Cindy and I haven't talked about it a lot. There is a sense of every time I've spoken with Cindy, met Cindy, I've always felt like there was this common understanding And now hearing and feeling the similarities in our experiences, I think it kind of says, oh, okay, well, that's the common understanding. I I feel like I wouldn't have to explain a lot to Cindy. You know, I could use some of the shorthand and she would kind of know what I'm talking about. And it reminds me a little bit of one of the first times I was in a larger group with a lot of people connected to adoption. And I think probably... Part of the reason why I stayed working in the area of adoption was when I was in a room full of people 
who were part of the adoption galaxy, who were original parents, adopted people. All of a sudden, there was like this feeling of safety of, oh, well, here's finally people who understand what it's really like. And I don't have to try to explain it, or I don't have to think twice before I say something. I don't have to be careful about the words that I choose because they might misinterpret me or they might think I'm a terrible person or they might think I'm ungrateful. I can just be honest about what my experience is and what my reactions are. So it's very validating. Yeah, Don, I absolutely agree. I think the more that we have connected, the more you're right. I can say parts of it and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we kind of get each other because we have some similarities. I mean, education's great, but surrounding around other adoptees and other people of the galaxy absolutely has made it a whole lot easier to be able to share stories and listen to stories and feel understood. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful point, knowing other people. And maybe those connections finally ease or are a way to let go of that striving for perfection. The wow of what happens when we finally let go of some of that stuff. I'm exactly with you, Diana. There are so many times where I want to jump in and say how much that resonates with me and... Mm -hmm. I know I told a story before we ever got on air about the fact that all of my children have birthdays this week. And I knew that everyone in this room would understand that that just isn't, oh, how exciting. That's really cool. One of them was born in very different circumstances. In fact, I didn't know her birth date. And so for me to tell this room that all of my children have birthdays this week and I'm, you know, having a bit of an emotional, that's an understatement. I'm having an emotional reaction to that. I know that everyone in this room understands. Whereas if I tell that to my friends at the coffee shop, they'll say, that is so cool. Like uh, that they're born so close together, but you understand, you all understand. And there is a safety in me telling that little story in this room that is very healing. Absolutely. Well, and isn't there a, I want to say like a confidence too, to be able to do that. It kind of reminds me of sort of when I can say, you know, oh, well, I'm 75% Irish. You know, I feel like I'm claiming that, right? There's that piece of that this is who I am and this is part of my experience. And it's, it, I think it's similar uh, when Travis can say the same thing, right? My kids are all born in October. and My daughter, who I just met eight years ago, proudly proclaims all the time that we are Swedish and Irish. Huh. <laughs> she loves it. And yeah. it's because she knows. Yeah. And she feels yeah. it. Yeah. And she sees it in me. And it's not a secret. And I tell people regularly the profound impact that realizing I was dislocated from another culture because I never knew I was from Newfoundland had on me. And I didn't figure it out until less than 10 years ago. You know, all that messaging about, oh, you're so sensitive. Oh, you're so emotional. Oh, you're so, oh, you're so, oh, you're so. Mm -hmm. And then I met these people in Newfoundland. And the very first night I was there, 
somebody was crying and somebody got in an argument with somebody and, and I could feel, you know, the anxiety and, oh, I have to do something about, you know, and then I just realized that, oh, this is quite normal. Maybe I'm normal. <laughs> Maybe this intense sensitivity yeah. and weeping <laughs> that I do with everything and raising my voice desire to engage quite passionately is actually part of my culture, right? It's part of my history. It's part of my DNA. It's so much a part of who we are. And when people can get that, understand that, hold that without worrying about being perfect or getting the story right, or even just knowing that nobody at Travis's coffee shop is going to get why that's important. And I'm interested hearing from both of you, Don and Cindy, what do those thoughts and feelings evoke or where, where does it take you day to day or in your life right now? Where do those thoughts and feelings take you? I think as a child, I kind of touched on that I often felt guilty or I felt fearful that I was going to be given back or rejected in some way. I think now at this stage of my life, it feels to me like this is an injustice. You know, it feels to me like this is a human rights issue. It makes me indignant. It wasn't just something that happened in my home with my particular set of parents, right? My parents were not monsters or, you know, they, they were just people that were trying to do the best they could and taking advice from people in society that had a set of values that just did not really acknowledge my experience that didn't make room for what my experience really was. They had a fantasy about what my experience was and that it was going to be this happily ever after and that they were going to solve this problem of unwed mothers and infertile couples. You know, they really didn't take what I thought about it at all into account when they came up with this solution to this problem. And so when I think about it in that regard, I'm kind of pissed. And I think that's what fuels me to do the work that I do, right? And to help other adopted people. So maybe they don't have to spend 30 or 35 years of their life fumbling around trying to figure out how to feel okay. It's not the kind of anger that, you know, I'm going around punching people in the face. It's more the anger that kind of fuels me to try to make some positive change in the world. And Cindy, where does it take you? So some of those feelings that Dawn has talked about, again, are very similar. So as a child, I definitely felt shame, shame that I would want to know the answers because I didn't think I should ask the questions. I was very unconfident. Uh, I felt very unsuccessful as a daughter. And then I have to also agree with Dawn, once I started to think, hey, I think I can look for this stuff. I think I can ask the questions. I think I'm going to try and find some answers because something's just not right about this. So I'm going to start digging. I'm going to do some digging. I did, right? I started my search then. Also found my birth mother pre-internet. So <laughs> the harder work or the, the more walking work and stuff. I think working also in the same similar field as Dawn, uh, you know, I saw how families were built. My husband and I went on to adopt and we did it very, very differently. It's a very different adoption than mine. And I don't think I was maybe conscious of it, but we are an interculture family, interracial family. And so it was very clear that we are 
uh, an adoptive family built very differently. After some reflection, I did do it very differently because I wanted those feelings of maybe uh, unconfidence or, or unsuccessfulness. I wanted to, to flip in myself. But, you know, part of what I hear as I listen to both of you is that in adulthood, there is a need to do something, make meaning, change, you know, once that awareness that this is not just about me, I am not a terrible person, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, whatever. And it may be very different for different people, but there's a very important piece there. Yeah, and I think that really fuels that passion that I have, you know, in helping other families, helping other adopted people, adopted parents, birth parents, you know, I think that's what fuels it that, you know, I I don't want to say it too loud, but you know, I would do this work for free. (laughs) But I like to be able to pay the bills. I know, you know, even my husband says to me, he's like, you're not going to retire, you might work a little bit less and not get paid, but you're never going to retire, you're going to be doing this for as long as your brain is working. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think I probably will. It gives me a sense of control when I didn't have any when I was young, you know. I agree, Dawn. I think I certainly don't want to ever stop hearing stories because I love hearing other people's stories. I love just listening and holding space, you know, within the adoption constellation. I do some search and reunion for other people as well. And you're right. I do a lot of stuff for free because it's fascinating to me. And I do, I don't know if this is a future point, but I mean, I do believe we all deserve to know our stories. We all should have the answers to that. It's just an embedded belief in me, I guess. And I, I think it's so important for us to know who we are, where we come from, our stories. You can't have identity if you don't have a story and you can't make meaning of your identity or your place in the world or how you fit without that. I think there would, I would love to see a place in our society where no one ever has to search. No one ever has to look for, you know, find out. I mean, all of these stories I hear from people that, you know, they don't even know they're adopted until they're 50. Like that's craziness to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. I just, it, it, you know, and I just think, what are we doing to humans? Like, what are we doing to people? All of everybody, the birth families, the kids, you know, what are we doing and, and what do we need to do differently? Mm-hmm. It's gotta be a different way. As we end this episode, I want to say a very warm and heartfelt thank you to Dawn and Cindy, two women who again are willing to share their stories with great warmth and clarity and to acknowledge the honesty and the vulnerability that they bring to these stories. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. As we mentioned at the beginning, this might have stirred up some strong feelings for you particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. Please don't hesitate to reach out to the ACO if you'd like to connect with others who understand. In our next episode, Diane and I will bring Karen, Wendy, Dawn, and Cindy all together to talk about the outcomes of secrecy in their lives and what helped them.